Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Freedom of Species would like to acknowledge the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation, who are the traditional owners of the land on which we broadcast today. We pay our respect to the elders of all of the lands on which we meet across Australia. Hello listeners, welcome to Freedom of Species, the radio show that brings animal advocacy to the airwaves. Sally has just finished with her show Out of the Pen and she's on every Sunday at 12, so do tune in as she presents great shows on everything queer and pansexual. I am Davita and I'd like to acknowledge the Rwandri people whose lands here in Narm nurture me as I live and work here. And my co-host today is Trev. Hello Trev. Hey, hey everyone. Uh, yeah, I'd also like to acknowledge the Rundry people, the traditional owners of the lands that we work, live and play on and acknowledge that these are stolen lands and sovereignty was never ceded and that colonisation is an ongoing thing that we should all be trying to do our part in resisting and working against. Yeah, um, I actually wanted to share something I've read about a piece of land, uh, a property being returned to traditional owners by Trust for Nature after they acquired it 20 years ago. And after they bought it 20 years ago, they've been working on it and restoring it to a healthy country because Mm. it's been overgrazed, depleted because of cropping. And I thought it was just such a beautiful way of putting in the work yeah. As settlers and then giving it back. It's just, uh, yeah, it just really, I thought it was a good thing. Whereabouts is that land? It's in uh, Victoria, northwest Victoria. It's called Nets Corner. Okay. Yeah. 30,000 hectares. Wow. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. yeah. Do you know anything about what First Nations people are planning to use that land? If it's just going to be rewilded or? Um, I'm not sure, but they have a legal measure that it can stay that it's going to be conserved for eternity. Like it's not going to be used for other developments. Wow. So today for Freedom of Species, we're talking about companion animals and dogs in particular. So as ourselves being vegan animal advocates, we support the practice that we should adopt and not shop. And Mm. today we want to talk about all the work that makes this possible, all the work that goes on behind the scenes to rescue and rehome dogs. And we have our wonderful guest with us today, Saskia Adams, who is the president and co-founder of Forever Friends Animal Rescue. And she has won a Community Achievement Award for her work in the community. Hello, Saskia. Thank you for joining us. Hi, guys. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Yeah, Great to have you. Yeah, we're excited for this show. And... um, just to make clear that Forever Friends doesn't only rescue dogs, but um, many other animals. So, yeah, Saskia, mm. can you tell us a bit about your journey to this role of Forever Friends and what you do? Sure. Well, I wasn't meant to do this. I was meant to have a career in publishing. I grew up loving books and writing and I also grew up loving animals, but I didn't want to be a vet at because that involved, you know, yucky stuff and, you know, putting animals to sleep. So (laughs) I decided I'd just be an animal lover and instead go into the publishing industry, which I did. And I was 10 years working at Penguin Books as an editor. But the big but (laughs) is that a little dog came into life at the start of 2008 and he changed everything and he changed the whole course of my life and resulted in me giving up that career in publishing to devote myself full-time to animal rescue as a volunteer. So it was, yeah, definitely not planned, but 
on another level, if you want to get all woo-woo and new age, I think it was planned on another level because um, <laughs> I could no sooner stop doing animal rescue as, as stop breathing. So it was meant to be, mm. but it's it's also, um, yeah, it's a very different life to what I had planned. <laughs> hmm. And how was it? Because that was a dog. I think Ned is his name. Is yeah, little Neddy. Yeah. <laughs> so I had heard about only recently in 2008 that there was something called um, Rescue Group um, that was looking for foster carers and it was um, a group that had a good reputation. So I applied to be a foster carer and I knew nothing about rescue. I knew nothing about puppy farms. I had always been an animal lover and I'd, you know, I'd stopped, you know, eating meat at a very young age and, you know, felt very passionate about animals, but I wasn't very aware politically about companion animal issues or how many animals were dying mm. in our pounds and shelters. So I applied to foster with quite a bit of ignorance and I was accepted by this rescue group and told um, they'd match me with this little dog called Ned who had been on death row at Mildura Pound in northern Victoria. And I was to turn up at this car park on this particular day. Ned would be arriving. So I turned up and was waiting with these other people who were waiting for their dogs and cats. And out of this tiny little cat crate came this little fox terrier cross, Jack Russell, tiny little dude, shy, small, sweet, quiet, just looking so confused. And um, it was love at first sight, of course. And I took him mm -hmm. home and... That night I had, um, I was living alone at the time. I just had a breakup with my long-term partner and things were still pretty miserable in my life. And um, Ned was, you know, sweet, but he was standoffish. So I just let him find his way around the house. And when it was time for bed, um, he jumped up on the end of my bed and, and lay down and I turned off the light. And as soon as, I, as soon as I turned off the light, I'll never forget this, I felt these little paws just sneaking up the bed gradually towards my pillow <laughs> and this <laughs> tiny little dead dog curled up and put his head on my shoulder and just curled up in my arms and went to sleep and in the morning he woke me with a kiss on the end of my nose and I just <laughs> thought oh my god <laughs> and I've never been the same so of course I foster failed Ned which is our way of saying that we couldn't <laughs> Couldn't give up our foster pet and I adopted him. And he is now perhaps 16 and he's still going. And it was him that changed my life because I thought if these are the sorts of dogs that are dying in our pounds and shelters, if these are the homeless animals that we are killing for no reason at all, then I had to do everything in my power to make some small difference and um, get the word mm. out there about these animals. So it's all Ned's doing and um, he's got a little bit of dementia now. He's not quite the same, um, but he's still a happy, healthy little guy and, you know, giving lots of love to everybody. So that is how um, Ned mm. changed my life. <laughs> mm. And how did your journey go from starting with Ned to also rescuing farmed animals? Um so I spent three years fostering with that rescue group and I signed up as the fundraising coordinator and events coordinator and communications coordinator all as a volunteer. And um, after three years, I decided it was time to start my own rescue organisation. So me and a few of my animal-loving friends had our first little meeting around my kitchen table when I still lived in Hawthorne and decided we would rescue just dogs and cats And we'd keep it really small and manageable so we could do it in our spare time and we could keep our full-time jobs and normal life. Ha, ha, ha. <laughs> <laughs> and we decided we'd only have five dogs in the rescue group at a time, so it was going to be super small. Yeah, famous last words. Um, I can't even tell you how many animals <laughs> we've got in care today around Victoria. It's probably well over 500, so or yeah. even more. So yeah, it didn't actually stay small and manageable and that's why I ended up giving up my, my paid work to manage the rescue group. But we soon realised um, my um, partner and I, who I met through fostering, that we needed more space and we left Hawthorne and bought some land up in the Dandenong Ranges 
was just a nine mm. acre small farm at Macclesfield and that's how we got we fell into farm animal rescue because um, of course as soon as you've got a few acres word gets around and someone will ring and say hey could you take my old goat or give room for my mm-hmm. sheep and I knew nothing about farm animals so of course I kept saying yes and before I knew it we had a, a small farm full of rescued animals like horses and goats and sheep and chickens and and we'd run out of space. So then we um, moved to a much larger property um, where we are now at Laddersdale, which is 100 acres, and we just kept trying to help every species we could. Um, the only species we, we don't assist is wildlife because that's another very um, specialised area and uh, we support mm. wildlife carers. But in terms of animals, we've since rescued everything from um, goldfish to even a huntsman spider. So it's fun. Wow. Yeah. So, yeah, we mentioned we're only going to focus on or mostly focus on dogs for this show. So we'd love to hear some stories throughout the show on um, some of the dogs. Yeah, I'd love to sort of go through the stages. Like, where do the dogs come from? What are some of the places that dogs, where do they come from? So we mainly rescue from what we call um, pounds and shelters where there are animals who don't always make it out alive. So we work very much with country pounds, particularly because a lot of country pounds have very poor um, rehoming programs. So they might, if an animal comes in, for example, it's an unclaimed stray, um, someone doesn't Mm -hmm. come forward to claim that animal, they might not have an active rehoming program. So the pathway for that animal can either be um, death or rescue. So we try and prioritise working with those organisations that really, um, I'm going to be frank, don't, don't do their job well. Um, mm. And then we work with some, some larger um, city-based organisations who um, often are doing a great job but they are also... Um, under-resourced and, of course, have their limits to how many animals they can house. So we work with um, RSPCA Victoria. We work with Lost Dogs Home, Lord Smith, Animal Protection Society in Keysborough, and we have really close mm-hmm. relations with all of those organisations and there's been some fantastic changes amongst those, a lot of those groups in the last few years there's certainly a lot more um, progressive and really collegiate relationships now between um, the large animal welfare organisations and rescue groups. It used to be very combative and a lot of the larger shelters would not work with rescue. The rescue was seen as a bit of um, just, you know, crazy people who hoarded animals in their homes, whereas I think we all know it's quite different now. And then the mm. third... Um, cohort we work with is members of the public who need to surrender their animals for whatever reason. So um, it might be because they're entering a nursing home and they can't keep their beloved dog or cat or um, they might have fallen on hard times, you know, financially, can't afford to feed their horse anymore. And I think we should always remember that people that do give up their animals often do so with a very heavy heart and we shouldn't judge them. A lot of them do have very genuine reasons um, and those members of the public um, are people we also try and support if we can, you know, in keeping their animal. But where where we can't, where they can't do so, we try and take the animal into our care and find them another home along the way. Hmm. Um, I'd love to actually hear, yeah, some of the negotiations in difficult cases of dogs where maybe an organisation that doesn't do their dogs well um the sort of work that goes into trying to release or trying to negotiate a release Hmm. are there stories of that or yeah yeah sure oh yeah i've had certainly some really really tough cases where i've been made aware of a, a dog in a city pound or shelter who has been perhaps collected by a member of the public as a stray and the dog has gone into that pound or shelter and the member of the public has kept in touch and said to the pound or shelter, if they're not claimed, I want to adopt that dog. But then along the way, what sometimes happens is the the shelter will get back to that person and say, oh, sorry, they failed the temperament test and they're going to be euthanised. 
So I've been contacted many mm. times over the years by people just saying, please, please help. I found this dog. I handed it in thinking it was going to be, you know, protected in, in a shelter. That's what shelter means, right? <laughs> I've made myself really unpopular a lot of times by, you know, going straight to the CEOs of these organisations and saying, look, this is who we are, this is what we do, please let us assist this dog. But there's sometimes been weak, long, protracted negotiations which have been extremely traumatic for everybody and, you know, I've had to call lawyers in occasionally for backup and, Hmm. you know, sign documents to make sure they know that passing a dog to us means that there's no ongoing liability for them. But as I said, nine times out of ten we have been successful and we've been able to take that dog into our care, rehabilitate them and then show that pound or shelter, look, this is the dog that you didn't want us to have that was going to die in your facility. And it's now mm-hmm. in a loving family, it's playing with kids or and these are dogs that were so assessed as aggressive in pound environments and Nine times out of ten, dogs that present as aggressive are just scared and they need to get out of that environment and be given a chance and that's where, you know, rescue Mm. is a great safety net when we can step in and advocate for those dogs. But there was one dog I wasn't able to save and um, he still haunts me. I see his face. Uh, His name was Tonka and I did everything I could to advocate for him and I think the organisation in question just wanted to make sure I knew that I wasn't always going to get my way (laughs) and perhaps he was a bit of a bargaining chip, I'm not sure, but there are cases where you're not able to save a life and those are the ones that are really, really hard to live with because you know you can help. You have that trust in your abilities and your experience and the team you have around you and yet you're denied that ability to save that life so it's very tough Mm, yeah so um i don't know if a lot of people know that but that was sort of news to me hearing you say that often it's i wasn't aware till you just said it then that there so someone who works there is allowed to make a judgment call on the temperament of an animal or a dog and they're allowed to then you know say that that animal needs to be euthanized and Mm-hmm. that's completely like that's just the, the proper procedure is it like is there any appeal process or something or is that what you are doing you're doing an appeal or are you doing a I guess I just want to hear like how common is that mm. or are they cutting corners by not contacting the people who gave the animals in in the first place or are they actually following the law by doing that and that they've just got the right to say they didn't meet our test for temperament or something it's, yeah, what you're, they're really good questions. It's such a murky area legally. So pounds and shelters operate under a code of practice um, under the Department of Agriculture. And that code of practice is, oh, I think it's a good 12 years old now. And it has some really murky areas in it. There's a clause that is burned into my head. It's called Clause 2.10, which says that a pound or shelter must not make available for sale an animal who is aggressive, um, antisocial um, or excessive barker or fence jumper or something like that. And that clause itself is responsible for the unnecessary deaths of so many animals because anyone, any, you know, employee can say that dog is aggressive when perhaps that dog is just scared Mm. and it's growling because you've got it cornered in the back of the pen. So I do find that most of the larger shelters now have a really good appeals process internally for staff. So if a dog, for example, is um, labelled as aggressive and goes on the euthanasia euthanasia list, the staff can um, ask for an appeal in front of a panel. But those panels are inherently problematic because sometimes the panellists, you know, their co-workers, their friends... One panellist might not want to um, disagree with the other co-worker who might actually be their boss. So it's not as fair Mm. and objective a process as you would hope. You know, the animals can just be political pawns sometimes. In terms of an external appeal process, there is none. It's only if 
you're made aware as a rescuer that there's a dog or cat on, you know, with their, their head on the chopping block. And as I said, it's often come from members of the public who found that particular animal as a stray and they wanted to adopt them or they wanted to make sure the animal that they took to that shelter in good faith gets out of there alive. And then along the mm. way they told, oh, well, you know, they failed our assessment. So that's often when I've been asked to become involved or even lawyers have got involved demanding the release of that animal with varying success. So the code of practice is currently being reviewed and I really have high hopes that that particular clause that says um, aggressive antisocial animals must not be available for sale is actually clarified because sale should not include transfer to rescue. That's what I was going to ask because you mentioned the word sale. I wasn't sure if that was just, you know, for brevity's sake or just, you know, an all-in-one sort of clause. But is there a difference between if the animal is going to be sold or if the animal is just going to be adopted or rescued? There absolutely is. So, and that's what I've had, I've argued before when I've been trying to save an animal that sale is when you let the animal be purchased by a member of the public. Sale should not include passing that animal to a rescue group. There is no money exchanged. It is not um, mm. a transfer of of anything, you know, in terms of finances. Um, so I've argued that it's not a breach of the code of practice for a pound or shelter to transfer an animal that they think is aggressive or antisocial to rescue. That is absolutely not a sale. That is a transfer to another organisation, a partner organisation who feels capable of looking after and rehabilitating that animal. But because that clause isn't clear. Um, it doesn't say if sale includes rescue groups. Um, a lot of lives have been lost just because of that one sentence. So that's what yeah. we've been up against for the last 10 or so years. And I'm really hoping that's the first sentence they change in the new code to acknowledge that um, rescue groups should be contacted. So things are changing, mm. but really, really slowly politically. Mm. Yeah. Um, so let's take a break with a song. So Saskia, what's, which song do you want to play first? I've always been a big U2 fan. Um, I credited U2 with helping develop my political consciousness from the age of 13 when I first saw them live in <laughs> Melbourne. And, you know, all my friends were listening to, you know, Kylie Minogue and silly pop stuff. And I went to a U2 concert and they were sitting about you know, civil rights and racism and the environment. And I was so blown away. Um, I've been a huge fan ever since. Um, some of they, their more recent work is less overtly political and um, just talks about, you know, looking after each other and um, helping people out when they need it. So that rings, you know, very true for me. So one of my favourite mm. U2 songs is um, Sometimes You Can't Make It On Your Own.
health system in Victoria is currently undergoing transformational reform and for the first time these reforms centre people with lived experience of mental health challenges in the design and delivery of the new system. So how do we then ensure that lived experience engagement is genuine and not tokenistic and what are some of the structural changes that need to occur to encourage people with a lived experience to want to participate? These are some of the questions we will be exploring in this year's Wellways Public Lecture on Thursday, May 26 at the Wheeler Centre. The keynote speaker is Debbie Hamilton, a systemic mental health advocate. And the evening will also include a panel discussion with lived experience and governance experts and the launch of Vimeac's Consumers Leading in Governance pilot program. This is a free event, but bookings are essential. To book your ticket to the in-person event or online stream, Visit lecture.wellways.org and follow the links to the booking page. That's lecture.wellways.org. Wellways supports 3CR. Do you have a few children's picture books or footy boots that your kids have outgrown but want to find them a loving home? Well, drop them in at 3CR and put them in the Books and Boots bin. Books and Boots regularly sends pre-loved children's picture books and sports footwear to remote and regional First Nations communities and children across the country. Contact us at Books and Boots or go to the website www.booksandboots.org.au We love a good book. Hello listeners, welcome back to Freedom of Species. You just heard you too with the song Sometimes You Can't Make It On Your Own. 
We're here with Saskia Adams uh, talking about dog rescue and all the work that is involved. So we just heard a bit about, you know, what situations do dogs to be rescued come from? What are some of the ways you um, negotiate their release from pounds or yeah, how they find the, their way to Forever Friends Animal Rescue? So what happens when they come at um, Forever Friends? Well, right now we're super excited because we have just opened our rehabilitation kennels at our sanctuary in the Yarra Ranges. So prior to this, dogs entering our care as an organisation would go um, straight from pound or shelter to foster care. And that's mm. still the case for a lot of the dogs entering our system. But now we also have this extra life-saving ability in that um, dogs can come straight to the sanctuary who we might have little or no history about and we just can't, you know, in good conscience um, place them in a foster home without doing an assessment and, you know, working out what sort of um, needs they have or what sort of issues they might have. So I'll run through it as though the dog is arriving here at the sanctuary. Mm. Um, and that is um, we spend time getting to know the dog. Um, we've got a 10 pen indoor kennels here and a few outdoor pens as well. We've got um, a full-time dog trainer and behaviourist here Monday to Friday who works closely with the dogs, who's fantastic. Shout out to you, Luke. <laughs> and on the weekends, I run the kennels while Luke has a much-needed um, much couple of days off. So we test the dogs here with a variety of other animals, other dogs, um, people. We get to know um, what behavioural challenges they have and what we might need to do to help them. So if they need the sexing or if they need, you know, a dental or a leg, uh, you know, a broken leg fix that was never fixed properly um, will get surgery happening pretty quickly. We'll have their health assessed as well and preferably then placed in a foster home. So that would include the homes of people like yourselves who <laughs> are also fostering for us right now with your beautiful foster dog, JD. And... As you guys know, we just are always desperately looking for more foster carers and it's just people who have a love for animals who have a bit more space in their heart and home for just one more, as I like to put it, or might not have any animals at all and can't commit to a 15-year adoption but still mm. would like to have an animal in their life. So we're always desperate for more people in the community to join us as carers. And carers come to us um, with, you know, we provide, I should be saying, 24-7 um, um, support for our foster carers, um, for any problems or issues you might have. We pay all the medical bills. We provide um, behavioural training advice if needed. And after the foster carers have gotten to know the dog or cat and feel that they're ready to move on to their forever home, we um, work with the foster carers to write up a, a really lovely biography about that animal, what he, he likes to do or doesn't like to do, any quirks they might have and the home, ideal home that they need. Yeah. And then they go up on our website and on Facebook and on Pet Rescue and SaveAlife.com, all those sort of social media platforms, and we reach out to the community to consider offering that animal a forever home. And that's mm. a whole other process, but, yeah. but that's the, the normal process from um, entry from a pound or shelter to um, when they're poised to go off on the next adventure, I yeah. guess. There was this one story that you shared on Facebook and um, I wondered if you're, if you're happy to share it here about the dog Pen and whether you can maybe share a bit about yeah, how he has changed ever since he was at Forever Friends and the sort of work that you do with a dog like that. Yeah, so process with an actual dog. Um, mm. Pan is one of my all-time favourite cases because the transformation we saw here in just a short space of time is just one of those life-changing events that you, you realise that's why you get out of bed in the morning. So... Pan was, or is, I should say, a maremma. For those that don't know what 
um, breed of animal or breed of dog a marimna is, they are those really big, beautiful, white, fluffy. They were bred for the Italian Alps and they're commonly used in Australia for guarding of poultry and sheep and goats and they're also often family pets. However, um, definitely not suited for the suburbs, but we're seeing an enormous number of Maremmas um, in the suburbs needing to be surrendered or being dumped at pounds or shelters because they just do not cope in suburban life. Mm-hmm. And um, this particular to, dog pan, however, was on. A- just to quickly interrupt, like, yes. um, what is it that makes them um, not like urban sort of environments exactly? So, because they're bred to be guardians um, and guardians of everything, you know, originally from wolves to, to bears, just about. Um, it means they're hypervigilant. They will bark at anything and everything. Um, so in a suburban backyard, they will yeah. bark all day because mm. they think that's their job to alert their owners. They are just ideal for larger properties, acreages. There was a movie about seven years ago now called Oddball. I don't know if any of you remember Oddball. It was about mm. a Maremla who was guarding penguins in a endangered colony near Warrnambool. And like what so often happens when there's a, a movie about a particular dog breed, whether it's, you know, 101 Dalmatians or mm. whatever the movie was about chihuahuas, all the backyard breeders start to get an idea mm. that maybe they'll, they'll start breeding a particular species. So what we saw in Australia after that movie was a lot of really bad backyard breeders starting mm. to breed maramas. And mm. so a lot of people went out and bought these fluffy white puppies and um, there's been yeah, a really big problem in rescue ever since. Um, I think last week we were asked to take three maremmas alone and this week another oh, two. Wow. So it's just yeah, showing what a huge problem it is mm. with that particular breed. So um, this particular dog, Pan, however, wasn't in the country. He had no name. Pan is the name I gave him. And I was alerted to Pan's... Um, existence by a volunteer who'd visited this poultry farm. She saw this young Maremma there change in the blazing sun, no shelter, and he was clearly young and he was clearly bored and very lonely. He only had the chickens for his friends. He had no toys. And, of course, what he was doing was playing with the chickens because he had no one else to play with. Mm. And when you're a 40 kilo maremma playing with a chicken, you often inadvertently injure a chicken. So Mm. the farmer who wasn't impressed about this, his solution to Pan trying to play with the chickens was to wrap Pan's head in chicken wire (gasps) so that he couldn't open his mouth properly and he couldn't get close enough to a chicken's body. But what this meant was Pan also couldn't eat or drink properly and he was just wasting away in the blazing sun and the volunteer who I knew contacted me and said I've got to help save this dog and we talked about the legalities of it and so she spent three or four months trying to negotiate Pan's um, rescue with the farmer until he got so sick of her he said look take her um, take him sorry tomorrow or I'll shoot him and fortunately, um, I had space for him at that time and um, sent a volunteer up to collect Pan. And he arrived um, pretty emaciated because, of course, he hadn't been able to access food very often. And he was trembling on arrival. He would also flinch when he, we touched him because he was only used to being hit. Mm. Pan's dogs that we see in rescue hands are seen as weapons because they've never actually been touched with kindness. So we had to start to get, trying to earn his trust really, really slowly. And over the coming days, he would flinch a little bit less every time we patted him. There was clearly no aggression in this dog, no matter what had happened to him and how much he'd been brutalised. He would, you know, cower away from us if he was frightened, like when I tried to put a lead over his head or whatever, but there was only... um, a lot of loving and goodness in this dog. Considering what he'd been through, I thought we might have a really long rehabilitation journey with this dog. I thought, you know, we could be looking at weeks or months before we earn his trust and before he learns to 
enjoy life and find his joy. Um, it was only a matter of days and it was the most beautiful thing I've seen in a very long time, him starting to um, learn how to play with another dog again. He'd been on his own for so long and at first meeting a new dog he was quite scared and then he realised that, you know, they were his friend. He didn't have to be scared of them and he started to play and he started to find toys and he started to come up for pets. We found Pan the most incredible loving home recently and he's now living with a female German shepherd called Indy and he's sleeping on both dogs sleep on the their guardian's bed at night so I don't think there's any room for anyone else <laughs> life goals if you look at a photo yeah yeah if I look at a photo now of Pam with his head you know wrapped in chicken wire to where he is now um I really realized what an absolute privilege it is to be witness to this work and just thank everyone who who contributes, you know, in this organisation to saving these lives because, my goodness, they're, they're worth it and um, I hope we can continue doing it for a very long time. Mm. Yeah. Our dog, on our foster dog on the couch, reacted to all the dogs barking on your end. It was so funny. <laughs> Even though we're wearing headphones, he still could hear it through the headphones. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, just that network of people really stood out to me as well. You know, people negotiating for months with a certain person to release a dog then bringing it to you then to the next the next step and then all that work that happens at every part of that network it's just something that's that's it's work that is invisible mostly and um it's it's very enlightening to sort of hear you talk us through it because it's not the things you see when you see dogs playing outside you know you don't see the the lives behind um, the dogs mm. so um, let's take another song break yeah what's the second song that you've chosen Saskia oh it's another U2 song Pride in the name of love so over to you Bono <laughs>
The revolution in Rojava is a beacon of hope for the world, putting direct democracy and feminism into practice on a broad scale. This radical attempt at social transformation now faces huge challenges, including daily attacks by the Turkish military with little outside recognition or aid. Show your support for Rojava by joining North East Syria Solidarity, or NESS, and help ensure the survival of this inspiring experiment in social change. NESS sends aid, raises awareness, and builds solidarity. Get involved at www.nessolidarity.org.au. NESS is a 3CR supporter. Get ready to add your support during our annual Radiothon and help keep communities strong. 3CR Radiothon Fundraiser, June 2022. To donate, call 03 9419 8377 or donate online at 3cr.org.au. 3CR Radiothon 2022. Keep communities strong. Hello listeners, welcome back. You just heard you two with pride in the name of love. Um, we're here with Saskia and um, talking about dog rescue. And you mentioned you had like you bring in the help of legal counselors. What sort of legal action have you been part of? Are there court cases with dogs that come to your care? All my dogs are trying to make sure that they're getting their voice in today as well. (laughs) (laughs) That's great. We love having them. So, yeah, so most of the dogs that I found that have gotten in trouble with the law have been owned by people with mental health challenges or maybe addictions and they haven't been able to manage their dogs properly like they've had, they've been homeless or they have, for example, um, had fencing that just is not safe to hold a dog in. So people who love their animals, no doubt, but just don't have the right resources in their lives at the time to keep them safe and to keep other animals safe sometimes too. So Mm. um, I also read on the Forever Friends volunteer group about Chica and her brother, if I'm correct. What is Chica and Chief, yeah. So I was asked to assist Chica and Chief um, in April of last year wonderful um, Melbourne barrister and lawyer, Maura Rayner, and she's also been a long-time volunteer for Lawyers for Animals who do Mm. wonderful work. And Chica and Chief's owner at the time, or guardian, had been homeless, living in a caravan. She was parked in someone's driveway and she had no yard for the dogs, so they frequently managed to get out and wander around Clayton. And, of course... Dogs being territorial. There was four incident incidents between um, Chief and Chica and other people walking their dogs. And Monash Council seized Chief and Chica and wanted to destroy them initially, but after some negotiations decided to declare them dangerous. Now, when I was asked to help these dogs, they'd already been in seizure for, for some months and it took another eight months of protracted and sometimes agonising negotiation to have them released to us. Chica was released to us on Christmas Eve after 14 months in seizure, mm-hmm. and that is a small cage. They might get out of that cage perhaps 15 minutes a day if they're lucky, so 23 hours, 45 minutes of solitary confinement day in, day out. over a year for the killer dog and she was wasting away she'd lost 13 kilos um and she's only medium-sized dog she was skin and bone when i met her first at the pound to do an assessment and the dog i saw in front of me was dying and there was a representative from council there and i just said this this can't go on you know please let us help this dog but it still took weeks more of um, legal negotiation and Finally, Christmas Eve, I was able to go and pick her up and bring her home and I was so expecting her just to arrive here at the sanctuary and look around and go, yay, this is fantastic, I'm out of jail, you know, my life begins again. But she was incredibly withdrawn, subdued, shut down. She was incredibly traumatised and we also left her her partner dog behind chief we were still negotiating his his um 
surrendered to us. So that took another two months before I could go back and get Chief out. And mm. when he arrived, he was an absolute anxious mess. Um, he wouldn't let anyone out of his sight. He would cry with pain and anxiety even when you were sitting next to him. So he'd been in seizure 16 months. Mm-hmm. And um, this is what is happening every day uh, in pounds and shelters. We've got dogs in seizure in every single municipality. Often um, the legal cases can go on for even years and it is a form of animal abuse Mm. in my view. And these dogs um, here now are absolutely thriving and blossoming. They sit with um, the adults and sometimes teenagers and just cover them with kisses and yet I'm still fighting this council um, to have the dangerous declarations removed from these two dogs. Um, we're going to VCAT about that mm. and I probably shouldn't say a lot more. But, okay. <laughs> um, I'm really hoping, I'm really hoping that they will one day be able to leave the sanctuary and find their own families yeah. and we can prove they, they have been rehabilitated and deserved a second chance. Yeah. We now believe as a community that capital punishment isn't appropriate for humans mm. and I also think that we need to start re-looking really at capital punishment for dogs in these situations because we know that rehabilitation can work for humans and we also are starting to realise that dogs can also receive rehabilitation and that's what we have been trying to do with quite a lot of these these dogs and I think to a great degree of success. So mm. it's a part of rescue that not many organisations are involved in because it's incredibly stressful and challenging yeah. and, you know, going in and out of the court system. But at the same time, these dogs can still go on to change lives and be, um, you know, really, I suppose, poster kids for, for mm. rehab and what, what we can do for them. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. And again, the time and effort of, of going through the legal system, having to navigate the legal system, which is really confusing to me. Mm. Um, yeah. And uh, negotiations to, to secure dogs. That's just very impressive. Yeah. Yeah. In this last section, I um, just want to see where you feel like your work could be made easier. Um, are there certain points along the lines, along the stages that we discussed up until now, where you can see an intervention that would make the work easier? Wow, really good question. There's so many levels on which we could make this work a lot easier. Obviously, you know, in terms of pounds and shelters having better rehoming programs themselves, so they rely less on rescue as a safety net. Um, and I think holding to account particularly our individual councils in which we live, asking the questions, where do uh, the animals, the homeless animals in our community go? How many make it out of your facility alive? Mm. Um, why are you killing 30% or 40%? Why aren't you working with more rescue groups? I think it's all of our responsibility to as ratepayers too in our councils in which we live to say we care about the animals in our community and we want to see better outcomes for them and there's just no excuse anymore. There's some fantastic examples all over the world we can draw on. America is really leading the way in terms of the no-kill revolution. Mm. So I think it's up to us as individuals to ask those questions. Mm. I think it's also Mm. so important that if we are going to um, have an animal in our life, that we give the pet shops and breeders a miss. Don't look at gum tree, cute puppies, you know, please jump online, look at the rescue groups in your area, go to your local shelter or pound. I don't care if it's our group or someone else's group, just adopt, mm-hmm. you know, never shop. Yeah. Those are probably two biggest um, messages I would have right now. It's um, Forever Friends has also reminded me, you know, not only of, you know, how much I love animals and what animals mean to us, but how many good people there also are in the world mm-hmm. um, who want to, you know, make lives better for, for four-legged creatures as well. Mm. Yeah. Hearing stories like this really helps me get through some of the rough patches 
in the concerns that I have for some of the very messed up things happening right now, like abortion being retracted in America, shootings in, in black communities, black deaths in custody, like there's so much shit going on, but I tend to focus then on the work that a lot of people are already doing and the, the real worlds that they're making, yeah, the different worlds that they're already making real. Um, that I consider this dog rescue definitely part of. So, yeah, I wanna I wanna thank you for that, Saskia, and it's it's been wonderful to have you on the show. Absolute pleasure. I love talking about this work and love meeting other people like you who um, care so much. Because you know, I'm just one person, but we need. It always takes a village. So, <laughs> thank you for what you're doing to spread the word. You too. I will go make sure all the dogs are getting their dinners and lock up the goats and sheep for the night. And um, thanks for having me, guys. It's been great talking to you. Yeah, it's yeah, been thanks, great. I hope our listeners have enjoyed the show too. And please get in touch with us for any ideas or comments or questions. Freedom of Species will be back next week. We're going to end with the song Fight for Me by Barca and Electric Fields. She said, don't leave me here again, ma I need you more than you could ever understand, ma I'm broken and alone, I know we had a broken home Stop thinking you need a man, ma Getting chucked around the system, need to take my hand, ma Wanna go home, but you're too selfish on that needle Think you bad to the bone, was once good but you turn evil And I'm sick of these thoughts, was I ever enough? It seems that all I was taught, but I was always too much And all I want is your love, but you don't wanna come back Yeah, you're too sick on that crack, to comprehend the impact I only see you for an hour every couple of weeks And I'm going through so much trauma I find it hard to just speak You're touching me in the dark Cause I'm not worthy of loving I'll probably turn out like you Or laying up in a coffin All I wanted was you But I wasn't your problem I guess I gotta figure out my own ways To just solve them Want you to fight for me Like you fight over drugs Want you to fight for me Go ahead and fight for my love Want you to die for me But you just died on me So now I'm standing in the mirror Feeling real lonely Sorry mommy Fight for me, mama, fight for me, fight for me Walking in the wild, building tyranny The system and the drugs, they are killing me Escaping from the system, but the system needs the drugs You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.